All right, this is Hindsight 2020. This one for post-NFL Week 6. Down, of course, to the last game, tonight's game, Monday Night Football, Dallas Cowboys at Los Angeles Chargers. For those of you who listened on Thursday, this is the final game in Mike and I's Super Contest this week. It's the Chain of Custody game. We've got the Cowboys. Currently, line is minus one and a half, so that's moved down a little bit in our favor, uh, depending on whatever way you look at it. We've got the Cowboys, so we'll see how we do in that one. As far as Sunday's game... It's another winning week. Officially, we were 3-1 yesterday. Lot of really good picks. And one of the things you got to keep in mind when you're gambling, when, when you're evaluating yourself, and that's why I do Hindsight 2020. In actuality, a little bit of behind the curtain here, there's various segments of Hindsight 2020 that never make an audio recording. But I go through every game, I go through the box scores and the stats in all the games, see which ones where the final score might have been a little misleading, look into the details of some of the games maybe I didn't get to focus on as much the previous day, and I just go through all the games, especially the ones that I bet, and it's more about did I win or did I lose? But did we handicap correctly? Because sometimes you make a really good handicap and it doesn't work out. Sometimes you get every single detail of a game wrong, but the ball bounces in funny ways and you get the win. So it's really important to go back, do an honest evaluation on how you did And I think some of Mike and I's picks from the weekend were really good, not just because they won, but the way we worked through the handicaps and ended up landing on the games. First and foremost, the best pick we had of the weekend was the Cleveland Browns plus nine and a half against the San Francisco 49ers. They won the game outright, and I honestly think the path to victory for Cleveland started before the game when there was a little bit of a scuffle, a little bit of a Donnybrook there on the sidelines where the teams were getting into it. Cleveland, they wanted to get into a fistfight. San Francisco, speed, finesse, precision, that's not Cleveland's game. It's certainly not P.J. Walker's game, and they really got San Francisco to play a down-and-dirty, in-the-trenches style of game that Cleveland wanted to play. Now, we said this, I brought this up on Thursday, weather would be a factor, nearly 20 miles an hour wins, and this is nothing against Brock Purdy, because a lot of quarterbacks in the Northeast this weekend really struggled to throw the ball downfield. But Purdy did not have that over-the-top throw this weekend, and it allowed Cleveland defensively to keep the entire game in front of them. So they were able to play aggressive, they were able to crash the line of scrimmage, 
Now, I know they got some breaks here and that the left tackle, Trent Williams, goes out. Christian McCaffrey comes up a little bit lame early on in the game. You can make a case, oh, if San Francisco had been healthy, they would have won this game. But the game played exactly the way Cleveland wanted to. I talk all the time about evaluating coaches. And one of the most important things about coaching is, are you someone that goes out there and every week you have a game plan? This is what I like to do. This is my scheme. This is how I like to play. And I'm going to play it no matter what. Or are you a coach that adapts your team to the given situation to find the best thing that's going to work for you in this given game? 34 rush attempts for Cleveland going against the top run defense, one of the top run defenses in the NFL. And this is with P.J. Walker at quarterback. So San Francisco knows that you're not lighting them up down the field with P.J. Walker. But Cleveland was still able to run the ball successfully, even though San Francisco knew it was exactly what they wanted to do. So, one more thing on this game. I got to credit the great Mike Lombardi on this. Before me and Mike talked on Thursday, I was listening to Mike Lombardi talk about how Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator in Cleveland, had a lot of success over his career against Kyle Shanahan. And it showed here. He knew how to play him. The coaching matchups matter. Not just head coach, but your Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator matchups. If you've got little notes on the guys, who does well against who, what particular guys play certain styles that you think might work against other teams, I have a notebook. It's it's one of those old uh, black and white college composition books. I have every team in there. Every team has a page where I just write random gambling notes on, and every single week, When I'm putting my picks together, I'll go over the team page and see if anything pops. Uh, I did not catch this one here. I was lucky to hear Lombardi talk about it, but it was a really, really good insight into a coaching advantage that Cleveland had. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to say about this game. This In our particular super contest, in different contests you play in, the rules may vary. Any time during the week, you can lock in a given point spread. And at any time, you can come off that game and go right back on it. So if the line gets better, you can just simply click off the line you have and click back on. Well, in this game, when Mike and I were talking, the line was at Cleveland plus eight and a half. But I had taken San Francisco earlier in the week at minus five and a half. Now, the right play, according probably to statistics, to analytics, to those who follow value, especially closing line value, being able to have San Francisco minus five and a half was the play. There was no doubt about it. It was a number that would never exist again. You were going to get, people were out there probably playing San Francisco laying seven, seven and a half, eight. Heck, the thing went all the way up to nine and a half. So you know, San Francisco picks were coming in on it. So we could have just played the great number. 
And I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but what I really liked, and Mike led the charge on this, we just decided to forget about the number that we had. What do we think about the game? What's our opinion here? And everything led to Cleveland. And we did not worship at the at the altar of closing line value so much that we threw away everything we thought just to jump on a number. Now again, I'm not saying for a lot of people playing San Francisco minus five and a half was absolutely the right thing to do based on a numbers principle. I'm not disagreeing with that. All I'm saying is I think too often everyone wants to play that game. And if everyone's playing the game of catching the best number, then even when you win, you're sharing those wins with other people out there. One of me and Mike's biggest objectives in this contest is to make bold plays, to not be afraid to go out on a limb if we see a side that we liked. This involved bucking a really good sale price on a number that we had in our pocket, and I'm glad that we were brave enough, or maybe just a little bit dumb enough, to throw that out, stick with our opinion, and it got us a winner. So big winner there in our ugly Betty, it was the Cleveland Browns. All right, quickly here, we did have a loss yesterday on the Arizona Cardinals Uh, I don't know. I came up with a category called trick or trend. I thought McVay's success against Arizona had more to do with Cliff Kingsbury than anything revolving around the uh, Cardinals roster. I don't know what it was, but this was pure domination. Uh, Arizona, boy, they play really tough. They ran the ball 30 times. But they were 0 for 3 in the red zone. They actually led this game at halftime. But Arizona just collapses in second halves all the time. And Sean McVay is a fantastic adjuster. If you want to beat the Rams, look, you got to shut them down running the football. The Rams ran 28 times, 6.4 yards per carry. And if that wasn't worse, Cooper Cup is still running around catching passes. He had seven yesterday for 148 yards and a touchdown. I mean, the Rams did everything they wanted to do offensively. If you're going to bet against the Rams, first question you got to ask yourself, do I at least have an upper tier defense? You don't have to have the 85 Bears, but you have to have a good defense that is at least going to take something away from McVay that he wants to do. Arizona didn't have any of that. As tough as they compete, they were completely outmatched yesterday. No trap, no tricks, just good old Rams football. And me and Mike walked into a loser in that one, taking the Cardinals plus seven. Uh, Next game, we had the Detroit Lions, minus three. It was our share of square. And yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and pat myself on the back on this one. This is a case where not only were we directionally right picking the side of the Lions, but the handicap was spot on. 
I said this on Thursday. I'll say it anytime. This is a very simple Baker Mayfield formula. You better believe it's in my little composition notebook. When Baker plays defenses that are really good against the run, and when they play defenses that can pressure without blitzing, what tends to happen is the pocket collapses. It gets muddled in the middle. And Baker is a small guy, so he has trouble seeing over those giant offensive linemen. And when he's under duress and he has no run game to balance him out, he starts throwing miscues. Now, nobody could run in this game yesterday. Give Tampa a lot of credit. They did good defensively, too. But this game came down to quarterback. The great Baker Mayfield, 19 of 37, only had 205 yards, and he was 2 of 12 on 13. Or, on, excuse me, on third down. Jared Goff against a good defense, 30 of 44, 340 yards, 9 of 16 on third down. Just outplayed him at the quarterback position. I'm telling you, we're getting a little bit of value on the Detroit Lions because as good as they prove to be week after week, as long as they have that Lion logo on their helmet, people just aren't fully buying. Well, I'm going to keep riding her till she bucks you. This has been a good bet. We're getting them at a discount every week. And I think we had one yesterday in a key match against Baker Mayfield. I will, though, say, and I mentioned this on Thursday, when I saw Tampa come out in those creamsicle uniforms, I was a little worried because those uniforms are sharp. Those are some cool football uniforms. The only problem is, if you look at the coaching staff on the sideline, they're wearing these creamsicle colored polo shirts. It's like when you wear your Hawaiian shirt to work on Hawaiian shirt day and then like two people get fired and you just feel sort of ridiculous being dressed the way you are. As bad as things were going to Tampa yesterday, I wasn't sure if players were going to the coaches for advice or for Orange Julius. It was just really sort of threw me off. You you better pick a game where you know you're going to win if your coaches are going to wear bright orange shirts like that. Just my professional opinion. Last game we had, we had the Baltimore Ravens. Nice little revenge spot here. Not against Tennessee, but against London itself. They lost 45-7 to last time they were there. They came off a hard, difficult loss against a rival Pittsburgh team that they dominated throughout the game. What did that tell us? Along with them going over early, they were prepared for this one. They were focused. This was not going to be a vacation week for them. And Baltimore, look, they played really well in this game. I know a lot of people probably got frustrated, certainly if you had the over in this game, nine total field goals. So on nine possessions where points came out of the game, you're settling for field goals every time. Now, let me just say this. This should be looked at as a positive for both of these teams. Why? Because both of the coaches take points. See, Harbaugh isn't out there like some of these Kellen Moore and Frank Reich type coaches that are just trying to score on every single possession as quickly as possible and are just trying to get touchdown after touchdown after touchdown because they want to show off how good of an offensive mind they are. 
Harbaugh understands situational football. He doesn't need 30 points to beat Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. He just needs to get into the 20s. So on some of these drives where it's fourth down and one or it's fourth and goal, and you're like, oh my God, just let Lamar go do his thing. That's the result of good coaching, understanding that I can take field goals, I can accumulate points, and by the fourth quarter, look, in the fourth quarter, if the game's tight and he's got to go for a touchdown, he's got the better quarterback, the better offense, he's got the better kicker. This was really smart coaching. Both coaches handled the game, I thought, very well. They knew how to play each other. Who knows what happens in this game if Ryan Tannehill doesn't get hurt. But I think Baltimore is one of those teams that they almost just get what they need. It sometimes can be infuriating as a fan because, or as a better because you know they're capable of so much more offensive explosion. But that is coaching that understands the primary objectives of the game And yesterday, getting six field goals from Justin Tucker with just one Lamar touchdown was enough not only to get the win, but to get us the cover with Baltimore. So three and one in the contest. Um, I'm going to mention one more thing here. This is non-contest related, but I think it's a great lesson for all gamblers out there. And you just have to maintain your reserve when things go poorly. I had a couple of lousy picks yesterday. Early on, I had Indianapolis and I had Carolina. Carolina was a crusher. I had them plus 14 and a half. At, they're up 14 nothing at one point. All they have to do is knock it out, score 28 to nothing. What do you know they do? They find themselves down by three touchdowns, get the miracle pick six, and then somehow 15 seconds later, I I think I went to go get some cheese doodles, and I come back, and Miami's back in the red zone again, and of course they score, I don't get the cover. Um, I did something this week that I don't normally do. I, I participate on a gambling page on Facebook, And I actually gave out a couple of picks, um, which, look, I'm not a tout, and and I certainly never want anybody to think that my opinion should hold more weight than anybody else out there. But I don't know. I was just sort of in the flow, just, just talking with people back and forth. But I felt really bad. I felt like, uh, you know, again, I'm not a tout. I've never sold picks in my life, but I almost like felt like I let clients down. Um, so what I really needed was tough resolve after those bets. And there's been times in the past where when I lose really, like I loved Indy and I just had everything wrong about that game. And Carolina was just, It's hard. It's hard to pull the trigger on a really bad football team, especially when they're going against a powerhouse like Miami. And when you lose those games and then you're looking down at your sheet and it says, you know, Detroit, this is going to be my biggest bet of the day. I made it. I made the pick. I didn't walk away from it. But I'll tell you, in the past, 
I would have gone to bed with no action on Sunday night football. But this week, I said, nope, I've done my research. Before the emotion of today, I liked the Giants. I said, I love them with Tyrod Taylor. I'm pulling the trigger. And I did. And it's great. And I got the win. And of course, that makes me happy. But what I'm the most happy about is I had a plan. And part of that plan was to plug my nose and take the Giants. And there's a lot of times in my past where if I, when I get burned like I did yesterday in the one o'clock games, and not in a bad, like unlucky, just I was lousy, it would talk me off. And then what ends up happening is you don't bet the Giants game, you would have won, you get all upset, and then you look for the next game on the board and you just bet it because I'm not going to miss out on another one. And you usually end up betting on something that you weren't as strong about in your opinion. So we talk all the time in gambling about knowing when to walk away, knowing when to not bet on something. But part of the deal too is when you have a strong feeling, you have to make your bets regardless of what happened before, whether you're winning, whether you're losing. That's why I always like to go into Sunday with a plan what games I'm looking at, how much I'm going to bet. And that's what I did yesterday. And I turned what looked like was going to be a really ugly day into a profitable day. Going for four and one in the contest tonight. We'll see how we do with the Cowboys. Either way, we'll own up to it on Thursday when we do all of our games. I know this one ran a little bit long, but we thought we had a lot of really good information today. So thank you for listening and happy betting.